0: We started talking this morning about how God created all of us to leave a substantial mark in the lives of other people, and we shared three foundational truths that every believer needs to understand, and we're going to review that in a moment, but uh, let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we just pray that you would just use me, speak through me, speak to me, and Lord, speak to these people through me tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. We said there were three foundational truths that every believer should really, they really need to understand if they're going to leave a substantial mark in the lives of those whose lives they influence and for future generations to come. We said, first of all, that God, that God wants everyone to understand that he has called Everyone to what? To what? Salvation. To salvation. You're right. You get an A. Somebody over here, I won't mention any name, said leadership, but he gets an F today. He didn't listen very well in class this morning. But <laughs> God has called all of us to salvation, right? Secondly, he has called all of us to... Leadership, you get an A now, we'll, we'll forget the mistake, okay? He calls us all to leadership. First of all, God calls us to salvation. And we need to understand that it's only because of Jesus' sacrificial blood offering that he offered us on the cross that we're all able to experience his salvation, okay, and be part of his eternal family and have our sins forever forgiven, It's only because of Jesus' blood on the cross for us and his sacrifice that he made. But this begins, our salvation experience begins a radical transformation that's a lifelong transformation to where God begins to shape us. He begins to shape us into his son's image, Jesus Christ's image. Secondly, he calls us to to leadership. Our call to salvation is a call to leadership, but then our call to leadership is, and here's where we landed this morning, is a call to what? Influence. God calls us all to influence the lives of others and make a lasting impact in the lives of others. More than just a little splash in history, we said. He wants us to make a big splash. He wants us to make a big influence and if we're empowered by God we can make a big influence for Christ regardless of who we are whether we're a child whether we're an adult we can influence people or make a difference in people's lives okay in a significant way in a big way a huge way and then we i finished talking about how as we as believers have a different mindset we have a different mindset than we did before we were saved. God transforms our mind. And it's a lot different. Our thinking is a lot different than the way the world thinks, or non-believers, non-Christians think, people who don't know Jesus. Our thinking is a whole lot different than that. And it's because we have this different mindset, mark this down, we have a different goal. We have different goals than the world does for our lives. You see, the world would like to tell us what we're to wear, right, where we're to go, how we're to live, and what goals we need to set in our lives to succeed in life. And really, the goals that they say we should set are the four Ps. And they're these, popularity. Power, pleasure, and possessions. Popularity, power, pleasure, and possessions. Four Ps. That's what the world lives for. Well, that isn't what we live for. I like what tennis star Serena Williams said when she was once asked in an interview, how does it feel to be number one in the world? She said, she said to the person interviewing her, you know, when I was a kid, I wanted to be number zero because I thought that was the greatest. And I guess that that wasn't very bright of me, was it? Well, you know what? It was brilliant that she said that because that's exactly what Jesus taught. He taught us things. He said some crazy things that were different than the way the world thinks. He taught things like the way up is really down. The way in the first chair, to get to the first chair, is to take the last chair. He said the way to live is really the way to die. And then the way to win is really losing for others, being willing to lose for others. He said just the opposite of what we would normally think apart from God's work in our lives. As Jesus followers, our goal is to be different. It really is. Why? Because our whole mindset has changed. It's been radically changed. When we trust Christ as our personal Savior, God's Holy Spirit works in our lives, but he works up here to change our lives. He changes our thinking. And that's the thing that totally, radically transforms us. God does a work in our heads and until he does that work in our heads it doesn't matter if our actions change it won't mean a whole lot and it won't last lasting changes through salvation and that's when the Holy Spirit really goes to work in our lives and in our minds and when the Bible talks about the heart a lot of times you look that up it's talking about the mind not talking about this organ that pumps blood in our bodies. It's really talking about the minds, the central part of us, the central part of our feelings and our emotions and our will. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse number 17 and 18. Look at this portion of Scripture. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's what? A new creation. A new creation, not remodeled, okay? He's not remodeled. We're not just remodeled. We're not just made over. We're made new. And that's because our minds are changed. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things be- have become new. Now all things are of God, who reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of Reconciliation. We might not get the PowerPoint, and I don't care. It doesn't matter. I'm going to teach anyhow. I'm going to let them mess with that while I just keep flapping my jaws. Okay? You see, we're changed. We're no longer comfortable with this world and with other people trying to press us into their mold and make us into something that we aren't because we are changed. We're different. We don't like to be pressed into their mold. Why? Because we want to become like Jesus. We want to be pressed into his mold. We want him to mold and shape us like we want to be shaped in his image. Correct? That's what we want. We have a new desire. And we see that the more we submit to his working in our lives, the more like Jesus we become the more we're transformed like him. Romans chapter uh, 12 and verse number 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you, what's the word? Present your bodies as as a living sacrifice. In the Old Testament, what did they sacrifice? Animals, right? Well, you know what? That's... We're through with that because Christ became the ultimate sacrifice that sealed the deal with with between God and us. We no longer have to have sacrifices offered that pictured what Christ was going to do and that's all they did in the Old Testament because Christ, the reality of what the Old Testament pictures, pictured lived and he died and he suffered the the. Reality of the picture exists. Not existed, he exists. He's still alive, he's still in heaven. He ascended into heaven and he's sitting at the right hand of God the Father. And we see that we're to present, now God wants us not to present animals, he wants us to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. Not a dead sacrifice, a living sacrifice. And then it says, he wants to present ourselves, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. And after all Christ went through for us, isn't it only reasonable that we give ourselves to him? He deserves it. That's the least he deserves. And we're not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of... Here it is. Here's what I was talking about. The renewing of the mind, the changing, the reworking of the mind, the reprogramming of our minds so that we may prove what is good and acceptable in the perfect will of God, so that we might be good and acceptable and perfect before God. The only way we can be all that is because of God's work within our hearts and lives. So we're transformed. We're changed. We act differently. It reminds me of the story where some hometown visitors came to visit President Coolidge in the White House years ago. And they were really concerned about their table etiquette and table manners. So they talked among themselves and said, you know, whatever the president does, we're just going to do it so that we don't feel out of place. The White House, of course, pretty prestigious place to visit, so they didn't want to offend the president. So everything went well. They did everything the president did until the coffee was served. So they served President Coolidge the coffee. He took his coffee and he poured it in the saucer. So everybody followed suit. They poured their coffee in the saucer. He added cream and sugar. They did the same. They added the cream and sugar in the saucer. But then when all was done, you know what the president did? He put it down for the cat. How embarrassed they were, you know? When we fail to connect why we do the things we do with why we do them, we end up doing more no more than feeding the cat out of the saucer. It's just as embarrassing, and we'll be just as embarrassed because... We don't know why we're doing what we're doing anymore. We're just following suit with everyone else. You see, we need to let God's word and his Holy Spirit guide us and transform us so that we accomplish God's will, not the will of other people. That isn't what we live our lives to do. We live our lives to serve God, to please God, to do his will, not the will of other people. If you jump through everybody else's hoops, let me tell you, you're going to land in places on the other side that you don't want to be. Seriously. Seriously. And you're going to be falling flat on your face sooner or later because they aren't the right hoops that God wants you to jump through. He wants you to follow him, follow his word, be guided by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 14 through 16. We read, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. Why? Because they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. He's not a spiritual individual. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him. But, notice what it says there. We have the mind of hope. Christ, we're not the same. You see, the Holy Spirit works in our heart and life, and we do not think the same. We begin to get receive the mind of Christ, and we're transformed to think like he thinks. You know what I found? Once I was saved, it didn't take me long to realize that when I align myself up with Christ and his ways, you know what else I align myself up with? A head-on collision with the world and their thinking. Because Christ does not think like the world. His ways are not the ways of the world. When you decide to follow Christ you align yourself and put yourself in a line yourself up with a head-on collision with the world. You're going to have a collision with the way people think. People are going to get angry with you. People aren't going to understand you. People are going to misread you. They're going to misrepresent you. They're going to misquote you. They're going to make you look bad so they look good. Guaranteed. If you live for Christ. That means you're only left with two options, and so am I. Okay? We can either line ourselves up with Christ and follow his teachings and collide with the world, and he's going to protect us in the collision, or we can decide not to collide with the world and line ourselves up with the world and end up spiritually empty in our lives. We've got a choice. You can do one of two things. And by the way, you line yourself up with Christ. That's the way to live a fulfilled life, even if you are lined up to collide with the world. He's going to see you through the collision. We must choose one or the other. We can't choose both. Jesus prayed a prayer for his followers in John chapter 17. And he shared six important truths that he wanted his followers, us and us, his followers in his day and us to know. I want you to look at them. John chapter 17 and verse number 6. His prayer. Jesus prayed, I have manifest your name to the men whom you have given me. Out of the world. They were yours. We, You know, we think of his disciples as being so holy and so righteous and so godly. And even though they had struggles, they had a heart for God, right? That's how we think of them. Well, don't forget, they were in the world like we are in the world, okay? Before salvation and after salvation, they still had to deal with the world. They lived in the world. He says... You have given me them out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Number one, Jesus. Uh, what I see here is Jesus wants us to know that we are no longer a part of this world system. You need to understand that. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you are not a part of this world system any longer. You're a child of God and part of his eternal kingdom. You see, we no longer need to depend upon this world or temporal things of life to bring us happiness and fulfillment because we find that in Jesus. He gives us his abiding presence and he gives us his promises and he cares for us in ways that give us a lasting peace and fulfillment in our life. Something that we don't experience in the world. Verse number 7. He goes on in his prayer and he prays. Now they have known that all things, they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have shown surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them, I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father, keep them through your name, those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. Second thing I see here is that Jesus wants us to know that we live differently than the world does. We live a different life than they do. We live different than they do. You see, we live in this world, but we aren't of this world. We live in this world, but we don't live like the world does, like the unsaved people do, because we're different. We're God's children. We don't respond the way they respond. We aren't to act the way they act. We aren't to live the kind of riotous life and ungodly lifestyle that they live. Our passions are different. Our desires are different. Everything about us is different because we're God's children. While I was with them in the world, verse number 12, I kept them in your name. Those whom you have given, you gave me, I have kept. And none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one, that they are, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. In other words, set them apart by your truth. That's what the word sanctify means. He prayed that they would be set apart by the truth. And what is the truth? By his word. Set apart through the word, by the word. Number three, I see that Jesus wanted to know that we'll be hated because we refuse to be like the world. We're going to be hated by the world because we refuse to be in their mold. We refuse to live like they do, to talk like they do, to act or react like they do, to join with them in what they're participating in when it's wrong whether it's at work, ganging up on somebody, whether it's at school, picking on somebody, whether it's at whatever they're involved in that's wrong. We're different. We'll be hated by them. We'll be misunderstood by them. If we don't join forces with them or think the way they think, they're going to hate us. Jesus said, be prepared for that. But he said this, even though we're going to be hated by the world... He prayed that God would protect our integrity and influence while we're in the world. Remember, we're talking about influence. He says, don't worry about influencing people in this life. I'll protect it. I'll watch over you. I'll protect your integrity and your influence as you live for me in the world. Fourthly, I see that We are not removed from the world, but we're left in it to influence it, to influence it. You see, Jesus knew something about that. He didn't want us to be taken out of the world. He wants us to be left in the world. And the reason he wanted us left here is to be salt and light to impact everyone that we touch. And he wants us to be involved, purposely involved, purposely involved in the things of this life and the people of this that we come in contact with and the people around us so that we can positively influence them. The only way we can influence people is by getting involved in their lives, purposely placing ourselves in a position to where we'll be involved in their lives. Not like we tend to be at times and walk around people, certain people, because of the way they look, because of the way they are, because of the way they act, because of the way they talk. No, no. By the way, last time I checked, Jesus was ridiculed for that. (laughs) He's just hanging around a bunch of... Ungodly people and sinners. He even goes to eat with them. He sits down with them. He eats with them. He goes into their houses. He spends time with them. Isn't that a shame? Let people talk. Let people talk. The thing that really matters is what Jesus thinks, not what everybody else thinks. Okay? Now, you... We need to keep our guard up. I'm not saying we should drop our guard. But I'm saying that we need to be involved in people's lives like we tend not to be at certain times. Because the only way we're going to rub shoulders with them and impact their lives is to be involved in their lives, to know where they hurt, to know to hear what's going on in their lives, that Jesus can help so that we can lead them to somebody that can help them. Can I help them? No, not on your life. Can you help them? No, but we know somebody who can. He helped us, didn't he? He saved us, didn't he? He encourages us, doesn't he? He keeps us going. He cares for us continually, doesn't he? He sustains us, doesn't he? Well, he can sustain them too. Have faith. Have faith. God places us here to be like Jesus, to hang around people that other people don't want to hang around, to influence people that other people shun, okay? And they may not all be bad people. Some of them may be good people. Some of them may be arrogantly rich people, okay? I've got friends that have a lot of money, and they're my friends, They might be unsaved or they might not be right with God, but they're still my friends. Okay? I've got friends that are down and out, some of them. I'm friends with people that are ungodly people. Doesn't mean that I'm ungodly. I'm friends with people that don't talk in a very nice way. And they have Some of them have foul mouths. But yet, I'm friends with those people. Why? Because I want to influence those people. I don't want to shun those people. God placed those people in my path, and sometimes I purposely place myself in their path. And that's something that, if you haven't learned, it's a lot of fun to place yourself in somebody's path so that you can influence them on purpose, intentionally. It's fun. It's fun to do that. You see, Jesus knew that the only way that we could impact this world like he wants us to impact the world is become involved with people and touch their lives. Unfortunately, in August of 2015, the trouble that came to the folks living in Southwestern Colorado and surrounding states couldn't be resolved by just staying out of the Los Animas River. Due to a mishap by some people that were federally supervised, supervised workers, there was a blowout in the Gold King Mine in the mountains located high above Silverton. It resulted in millions of gallons of toxic waste being sent downstream into the water supplies below. The mishap contaminated the local wells. It endangered the fish, the livestock, impacted the tourist industries that relied on rafting, canoeing, and fishing. It also affected the irrigation and the city's water intake facilities. The entire area was impacted all because of one single mishap in a mine that was located hundreds of miles away from the affected areas. Think about that. Hundreds of miles away and it affected that many people. And although the problem started relatively small in a remote area, its impact was huge. And it soon made national headlines. Have you ever considered how your impact affects people? How powerful your influence is in the lives of others? Like that? Maybe a single negative conversation or impulsive act. Maybe it's a reckless, thoughtless expression or something that you share. It can lead to irreversible damage in the lives of other people. It really can. You see, the Bible gives us many examples of people who learned how destructive a negative spiritual influence can be. Remember David, Solomon, even Jonah and Judas all learned that. You see, a negative influence can be very destructive. It can cause new believers, weak believers, to stumble it can cause non-believers to never want to trust Christ as their savior. A negative influence is very toxic, and it affects everyone it touches. And it leaves sometimes irreparable damage in the lives of people. I look back on my life and some things that people said about me I've struggled with throughout my entire life, way back, things in my childhood have bothered me and still do sometimes in some ways. And maybe you experience that in your life as well. We need to keep in mind that a positive influence can work just the opposite way. Those kind words that we share, those loving actions are just as powerful or more, even more powerful because they can lead people to salvation. They can cause those believers that have strayed away from God to get back on the right track with God. You know, this side of heaven, we're ne- we, we really will never know the measure of our impact in the lives of other people and how powerful our influence is because many times the truth of the matter is our lives touch more people than what we even realize. Number five, what I see in what Jesus said is that Satan will attempt to hinder our influence in the world, but God will keep him from it. God can keep him from hindering it. You see, Satan hates everything and anyone that works against his causes. He hates anything and anyone who furthers God's purposes, and he's going to do his best to, to stop it. To hinder it, to block our efforts and destroy our testimony before others. But we need to understand that even though Satan is powerful, he's not all powerful like God. You see, God is able to protect our testimony and accomplish his purposes as we follow him and faithfully obey him. Number six. I see in what the scripture we that Christ the prayer that Christ prayed God's word not only leads us to Christ's salvation but once we're saved it also transforms equips and empowers us for to selflessly serve him Jesus asked God the Father to sanctify them by your word and your we're your by your truth and your truth is your word and so what i believe jesus was asking god the father is lord i want you to set them apart not only for salvation but i want you to set them apart to serve you i want you to send them out to serve you in a powerful way you see jesus prayed this prayer and he was our ultimate example of selfless service. In John chapter 13 and verse number 1 through verse number 5. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, You are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. if you do them. Jesus washing his disciples' feet wasn't about teaching his disciples the importance of personal hygiene, okay? Even though that is what it was about. Because back then, the custom was, when you had guests to your house, what did you do? You had their feet washed, right? Right? You say, well, why don't we do that now? Well, we have things called shoes. Back then they had sandals. Or maybe they went barefoot. Back then, they didn't have automobiles. They had animals. Where did those people walk? Down the road, right? What else was on that road? A whole lot of things. Animal refuse, right? And so there was a lot of things. Their feet were dirty. They were stinky. It was just a proper thing to wash your feet. So Jesus washed their feet. But it wasn't about personal hygiene. You see, Jesus was taking an opportunity to teach his followers something. Something about having a proper attitude or viewpoint toward God, their self, and others. That's what he was really teaching them. He was teaching them humility, service, serving others, having a humble spirit about themselves. You see, to Jesus, having the proper viewpoint or attitude was of utmost importance. Think about that. Why was it so important for Jesus to have the right attitude? Because that formed his entire ministry and focus. It did. You see, he viewed God as his heavenly father, the ultimate ruler, the sustainer, the creator, one worthy of his worship. And he submitted himself to his father's will and plans. He viewed himself as his father's submissive servant who was sent to carry out his father's mission. He viewed the world as his mission field where the spiritually lost were to be rescued and reached, whereas followers were to be encouraged and strengthened and equipped to minister and empowered for ministering. Jesus really possessed his God the Father's viewpoint on every single thing in life. He did. That's why his entire ministry and motives were always right, always perfect and why he was such an influential person and had a powerful influence. He was actually god fleshed. He portrayed all that God was. You see, Jesus had a right attitude, and because he had a right attitude, he had the right purpose. Because his purposes were always aligned with God's purposes, then his ministry, it meant his ministry was ext- would be extremely powerful and effective. And impact others. He would leave a lasting impact in their lives. Sure, he was God and fleshed, But he had a, the right attitude about things. He had his father's attitude. And if we're going to have the same powerful, effective ministry Jesus had, we really need to take on Jesus' viewpoint or attitude about life. You see, we need to be totally dependent on God's leading and his provision and his empowerment as we serve him. And as we serve others, we serve him. We must view ourselves as those that are called to serve, not those called to be served. Okay? We all like to be served. Okay? We all do. But that isn't what God calls us to do. He calls us to serve others. Galatians 5, 13 and 14. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. You've called been called to freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but though through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Secondly. We must uphold the light of Christ's presence through the way we live and in all we do. Okay? Hold up the light of Christ's presence. You're, you're Christ's representative. Let people know that by the way you live and all you do. Matthew five, sixteen let your light so shine before men that you may see, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Then we must continually give God the credit and the glory for all he allows us to accomplish and do. When someone praises you for what you're doing or what you've done, who do you give the credit to for all that? Who? Yourself? You see, we ought to give God the credit because all we are is because of God. All we're able to accomplish is because of God. We are who we are. We're able to do what we do because of God and God alone. That's it. He's the one that gives us breath. He's the one that gives us strength. He's the one that gives us our minds to think, our hands, our bodies, to do what we're able to do. Give God the credit. And then we must always be willing to cheerfully do, get this, even the most humble, of tasks that the Lord places before us and do them without complaining. Are you ever asked to do something that you hate to do? By your parents, by other people, by your employer? Or someone approaches you and says, maybe, you know, I really could use some help with this. And you say, in your mind you're thinking... Uh, I don't know if I want to do that. That's pretty dirty. That's pretty stinky. I don't want to be involved in that. That's something that really goes against my grain. I just do not do those things. Yeah, right. Have you ever thought about it, that maybe it's your opportunity to shine for the Lord by doing those things? But yet we griping, we complain sometimes, don't we, about doing those things. Colossians 3.17 says, And what... Soever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord, Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. You see, loving service is a result of a thankful heart and thankful people are serving people. Get that. Loving service is a result of a thankful heart and thankful people are serving people. There's a lot to that. In fact, the Apostle Paul, to the believers of Philippi, said this in Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 12 through 15. He says, For us to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Work out our salvation. What's that talking about? Is that talking about working for our salvation so that we're saved? No, it's not talking about that. It's talking about because we are saved. We lovingly work out our salvation or show that we're saved through our loving acts of service toward God and other people. That's what it's talking about. And we're to do it without grumbling or complaining. Why? So that we can shine brightly for the Lord. Because that isn't how the world acts. The world gripes and complains about everything. If you don't believe that, all you've got to do is go and work in a factory for a while. You'll find that out quick. I wasn't always full-time in ministry. I worked, a, I worked some factory jobs. I worked in a foundry when I got saved. I worked in factory jobs once I was saved, and even in the ministry. Uh, I pastored part-time and worked full-time in a factory. I know all about how people gripe and complain. And you know what? Sometimes you find yourself following their ways, jumping right in along with them and going with the flow. No, that isn't what God called us to do. Verse number 14. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless Children of God, without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as the lights in the world. Let me close with this. Thankful believers don't spend time complaining and arguing about having to serve Christ and others. No, they always count it an honor and a privilege to selflessly serve and leave a mark for Christ. That's a believer. That's what we do. So let's go out and shine for the Lord. Amen? Let's pray.